this week on the Back Table Podcast. That's the other thing too. I mean, it shouldn't just be love. It should be your duty. I mean, if you're going to do PAD, you've got to see it the whole way through. And I forget the exact numbers, but I just saw a thing about amputations recently, some talk or whatever. And, you know, after you get a BKA, it's like 40% die in a year. And after an AKA, it's like 60 or 70. I I don't, those numbers are wrong, but you get the point. Yeah. No, it's huge. Saving a leg is saving someone's quality of life tremendously. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. This is Donald Garbat as your guest host this week, and I'm very excited to introduce my special guest, Dr. Joe Cuvion. Welcome, Joe. Hello. How are you guys doing? Good. Tell me a little about yourself, where you live, your training background, and what, what's your practice like now? I'm from Bethesda, Maryland, middle-income family. Born and raised Maryland, uh, Triple Hoya, high school, college, med school, Georgetown, residency, Pittsburgh, fellowship, Miami Vascular. And currently I'm living in Winchester, Virginia, which is about a 90 minute drive due west of Washington, D.C., which is where my family still is, which is why I'm here. Because there are really no, in my opinion, there's no great private practice jobs out there. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's a pretty saturated area. I don't have any data, but just from me looking for the last decade, I think it's probably the worst market for IR in the nation. That's, That's just my opinion. It's tough out there, unless you go academic. And right now, um, I think I'd like to do that later in life because I love teaching. But right now, the the PP money, it's too good to pass up at the moment. Yeah, that's interesting. So tell me about your practice then now. What is your practice like? Okay, so we are a group of about 18 people. We service Winchester Medical Center, about, uh, I think it's about 400 bed hospital maybe. Maybe wrong about that, but um, so you have all the standard inpatient procedures. About two and a half years ago, we finally opened up. I've been here um, almost four years. Uh, about two and a half years ago, we finally opened up the practice. Before I came, had been talking about opening up an OBL for so long, but the hospital was balking at that to compete against them. And we finally, finally did it shortly after I arrived. And about a year and a half after it was open and all the dust settled, is when I really started to. Uh, to build the parts of the practice I wanted to do, which were UFI and PAD. And because we had, we did have a little UFI, but not a lot. And all the PAD was all vascular surge and cardiology. And we were able to do these in the OBL now. And all of these aspects of the, of the practice when I joined it, tips, any, many advanced therapies, chemoembolization, this and that were pretty much defunct. No one was doing them. You know, my partner, one of them, uh, Harv Jaget, He's been here about a year longer than me. He started to revive these. And when I came, the two of us really put the, the rubber to the road and started to make it grow. And that was about four years ago, you said? I came about four years ago. And then the real heavy lifting started about two years ago. So it's really pretty fresh. It is. It's a very fresh thing. And the OBL is relatively fresh. But yeah, my, my goal, I, I just, I don't want to, I want to do what I like to do. And I really enjoy PAD. In the practice, I'm the only one at the moment doing radial. So I'm the Yuffie guy. So... Nice. Which is nice. So how many IRs are there in your practice? We are four and a half, really five. The, the senior guy is a narrow guy and he's getting ready to retire. And he also does not do a lot of the things that we now do, like tips. So many times on call, he can't handle whatever is being asked. So it's really going to be, he's retiring very soon from at least the IR side. So we'll be four. And are, will you cover him if, if, if there's something like that or you put it off the I, next I day? I have, unfortunately, been the one he comes to. <laughs> yeah. 
it's hard to say no. He calls me because I made an interest in starting up the tips and, you know, embolization programs. So when something comes up and he can do it, they, yeah, he calls me. So uh, then it's like a 400 bed hospital. So it's, you're getting a lot of referrals from, you know, surgery and whoever else, right? Oncology. Oh yeah, we have all the, all the stuff. I mean, what's really cool about this is it's one little hospital in the Shenandoah Valley and there's basically no, what we would consider civilization to the West. It's the Appalachian Valley. No, I'm oh. sorry, the Shenandoah Valley, Appalachia. And so basically everybody with an illness funnels down to this hospital. And before, you know, before four years ago, when we were here really ramping things up again, they would just come there, triage and ship them out to UVA. And now that we're here and we're starting to do all of these advanced therapies, we get them all here and they don't have to ship them out. And so we, we see a lot of really great cases, frankly, for a very small single hospital and small little community. I think the population of the city itself is like 20,000. Wow. But we, we service a large area. And like my buddy, we, you know, like all of us, we're always sharing cases with everybody, text and online and this and that. And our newest partner who came out, he's a fresh, he's still fresh two years out. He shares the stuff that we do um, with his colleagues from fellowship. And some of these are at like Mayo or at real big academic places. And they're always telling him, my God, you guys are doing way better cases than we're doing. And a lot more of them. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some of the stuff you've shared. You guys are doing pretty high level work, I think. Feels like we're, you know, we have somewhat similar practices. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like a little more of your practice. I can tell from seeing your stuff, <laughs> what you do. And uh, it's impressive. I, I love seeing your stuff. Like you said, you have a guy that started a year before you and he was sort of energized to grow. And then when you came, it probably, you think that, that the two of you kind of grew it together? Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I, I was sort of a little more gasoline to his match, I think, but, but yeah, no, definitely. And now that the young guy's here, he's sort of taken the mantle for Y90. And it's, it's funny because we just got it. Like I did all the mm -hmm. legwork, like all of it. I built the freaking house. And then all we had to do was turn the key to walk in and this guy shows up yeah. and he turns the key and he gets the mantle. It's hilarious. We joke about it all the time. Oh. Like there's literally no ill will. Like he and I were great friends and I joke about it, but it's just ridiculous. Like I did all the work courting the girl <laughs> and then he gets to go home with her. Yeah, I get that. But it feels good. It feels good that you, you were able to create that, that service and that pattern and then you can hand it to the new guy coming in. Yeah. And it's a lot of it is based out of our clinic because our office manager there, she's great. We get along mm. with her so well. And she sort of decides who gets what consult that comes in. Like she just decides. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, if there was a big issue with something, we would fight it. But if it's a Y90, it goes right to him. I'm always busting her chops about that. I'm like, give me a freaking Y90. <laughs> <laughs> and the only ones I get is if they're actually referred to me directly. I did want to ask you, um, you know, you said your practice was looking to do an OBL before you came. And then finally, when you came, it seems like the, you were able to help launch that. What, yeah, what I, I think happened? what happened was the president was very reticent to try to ruffle the feathers of the hospital, mm -hmm. which is kind of stupid. Our group is so intertwined with this facility. Like we have a joint venture, um, imaging facility. We've been servicing the contract for this hospital for like 30 plus years. Like we are the radiology group, like so this fear of, oh, you're going to piss the hospital off, mm. in my opinion, like, yes, I get it politically, but realistically, it's not going to hurt anything. And so right. we opened it and they were all paranoid that, oh, you're going to be stealing our cases, our big cases. So at first we were just doing ports and pairs and doors. And then that's not sustainable for an OBL. And so we started doing these other things. And per usual, many, many people, in my opinion, have very 
small-minded views on things. The pie is bigger than anybody realizes. So even though cardiology and vascular surgery has their fair share of the PAD pie, I started really ramping up that part in particular myself for our OBL. And they don't notice anything. I mean, it's not like they feel it. Yeah. It's, there's, there's so much work out there to be done. And rather than work together, everybody views it as a competition. And I've been begging these people because their amputation rate is a little too high the, for the data. And I love infopopliteal work. And I, I'm one of the, the head of vascular surgery is a good friend of mine now. And he and I talk about this all the time. Like we need to join forces and he's in full support of that. But the hospital is the one that balks at it. No one really walks the walk. They just talk about it, but then no one ever does it. They need us. I mean, they don't do below the knee work and patients are suffering. Let's go. Let's jump into that. So you mentioned who all's doing it. So what's the landscape of PAD? Who all is working on it? Okay. So there are a group, there were private practice vascular surgeons maybe a decade ago, but they've all left. And now the hospital employs mm. their own. They have, I think, four employed vascular surgeons that are salaried and they just, you know, Unfortunately, as a result, in my opinion, you know, they're not incentivized to go above and beyond. They get the checks and they're doing the work. And the cardiologists are private practice and they sort of doing the, uh, they're picking the low hanging cherries and anything left sort of just, they're not picked up by anybody. And so that's sort of where I found my niche is to come in and talk to these referrers and let them know, listen, your patients still have options. We went to wound care and lobbied aggressively there. And they've been very happy with us and podiatrists as well. So it's really surgery and cardiology doing it all, except that I have like insanely aggressively started beating the bushes myself. I read a ton of non-invasives and anytime there's anything abnormal, I call the doctor and I'm like, listen, where I are, I just read this study. Just so you know, in addition to the other guys, we can do it too. And I found out the wait time to see these people sometimes is two months, which to me is yeah. outrageous. That's so I, I just let them know. I'm like, I can see them literally tomorrow. And so our availability is, uh, is very important to the growth of our practice. And I'm sure you've heard that old trope, the three A's of building a practice. And in order of importance, it's availability, affability, and ability. So of all the three things that you need to grow, it's your actual ability is the least important. It's just yeah. being available, making it easy for them. Like I give every single person my personal cell phone number, call me anytime, just give me a name and we'll take everything from there. And that's been working pretty well, you know, and now the referral patterns are finally, finally, finally starting to establish themselves. Only recently mm -hmm. in the last couple of months have I noticed that if a surgeon or cardiologist has read the non-invasive, that the referring doctor still sends them to me, which was like mm. an aha moment, like hallelujah, it's finally happening, <laughs> you know, because most of the ones we get, we're reading the non-invasives, which assists us into hunting them down. Yeah, that's really interesting. So how much, you know, how many PAD cases are you doing? I wish we were doing more. I, I would say average week is two on a great week four. Because, I mean, okay. technically I'm only at the clinic one day a week because there's four of us. So each of us rotate there a day a week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But to fit the cases in, we get creative with this outgoing just to do the morning to do a case or not. But again, mm -hmm. the, answer, the short answer is two to four a week. Is that just you or is that? Just me. Just okay. me. Okay. That's like, just you. I'm again, just the way the practice is going and, and who's interested in doing what at the moment. I mean, I'm definitely the most uh, energetic and aggressive at building all of this. So I'm getting the, the predominant portion of the PAD work. And you, so like on a great week, mm -hmm. I'll have like four legs and a Yuffie. 
I get at least about one to two youthies a week. I mean, it's a small town in Winchester and they're all white women. So it's not like a huge population of, you know, menorage patients, but, but the two OBs that are like the most successful in town and they no longer operate, or I should say kind that no longer operate. So they just, they send them all to us and they love us. So, I mean, that's, that really is a good volume. I mean, talking about UFE because plenty of people are not doing any. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm pretty pleased. I mean, the UFE for sure was like my little baby child because when we were opening up this OBL, we had an other partner that since left, it was only here very short period of time and he wanted to do PAE and he was like hammering the drums, PAE, PAE, PAE. I'm like, that's not a good mm-hmm. OBL case. It's just not, they take too long, you know, and we can't all be like a Sonny Bagla doing these things yeah. in his OBL. You know, what he has is a very unique set and model, you know, yeah. the is in my opinion, the, the golden, the holy grail of OBL procedures. And yeah. our office manager says the same thing. She's like, minute for minute, what you do is by far the most profitable procedure, You're, you know, because it takes me from once they're all prepped, they're not yeah. long cases. And she says nothing can, nothing matches the profit of a UFI for an OBR. That's interesting. Because again, we're not, we're not getting a lot of like task A cherry SFAs, you yeah. know, I'm getting more complex <laughs> things. So, you know. They're, they're beautiful cases. I love doing them. But when you're in there four hours in an OBL, they're not quite the moneymaker and you have a right. lot of inventory to go through as well. So what, what is the variety of your PAD cases? Uh, you know, if you think about Rutherford, are they all ulcers or are they all, do you have uh, claudication or what are you doing? Yeah, it's a mix. I mean, I would say more often than not, it's uh, Rutherford four, five, six. Any of the one, any of the, like two, three stuff, it's, it's just aggressively hunting down from uh, primary care docs, reading non-invasives for them or whatever. Um, there's not a, man, a whole lot of those. And then frankly, even sometimes if I'm, when I, I do diagnostic shifts and I'm always studying the, I think that's just a side note. I think that's something DR suck at. They're so bad at looking at vascular structures. Yeah. Um, but that's a separate point, but I'm like, that's the first thing I go to. And I can, I find a lot of PAD on incidental stuff from the ER and whatnot. And then I call them. I'm like, mm-hmm. this guy's a Claudican. I promise you ask him and then have him come see me. Interesting. So, okay. so I get, I get the good cases sort of through the back door of reading studies or whatnot. I, I get a lot of my cases reading for my diagnostic work. I'm a pretty prolific reader as well. <laughs> that leads me to who, who do you get all your referrals from for PAD or what's the variety? The wound care, I get the, the higher Rutherford scores, primary care. I get the, the lower ones, the ED, I get some from because they're starting to learn that, you know, this guy does the work as well. And I always give him a call. I'm like, look, this is what you, you, you look for appendicitis. He doesn't have it, but he has claudication. I promise mm-hmm. you, have him come see me. So it's really everybody. I mean, and every now and again, I'll get a case from that one vascular surgery colleague of mine. He's like, he's like the coolest guy I've ever met. Most other surgeons are very competitive and they don't admit mm-hmm. that they can use you to help them. This guy is all about patient care, which is awesome. It's nice to have somebody like that. Yeah. And he's also the one that sends me all the really complex chronic iliocable occlusions. Oh, nice. So wait, so if, when you call the ER, uh, getting a little technical about how you get a patient. So can you go into the exact detail? Are you, you just giving oh, yeah. them your phone or are you giving them the clinic phone or how do you get that referral over to you? Both, both. I mean, the ER is more for, they don't really care who I am. Like right. I just call them directly. I mean, the, do- the other doctors care and I give them my number. They can call me anytime for any patient for the ER. It's all they care about is that one patient, that one moment in time. So they can have my number, but I just tell them, look, this guy's definitely a claudicant or, you know, he's got a thrombus here. We can help him out. Here's our office number. Give him that number. Call, tell him to call tomorrow. We'll see him immediately. Nice. Okay. That's very simple. Very easy. 
That's what everybody needs, right? I mean, the reality is, is in my opinion, just a bigger philosophical thing is it's if you're willing to do the work, you can make anything happen for yourself. Like I'm pretty proud of the growth I've achieved for this UFEM PAD, but it is 100% sweat equity. Like none of it is without me going out of my way above and beyond calling people, networking, setting up lunch, meet and greets, PowerPoint presentations, giving them my cell phone, taking calls at odd hours. And of the four of us that are in my practice now, only two of us do PAD. And so the other guys are, are sort of made aware, like, look, if you're on call and you get a case of ours coming in for a complication or whatever, or you get a new case coming in, just call us directly. So, I mean, you have to be willing to do that work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you want it, it's there to do it. I have to say it is quite a bit of work. It certainly is. PAD is not, it's not a UV and done. No. And, and, um, oh, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say to anybody considering getting this going, I mean, it's one thing, you know, there's also people that have an OBL. That's their main, that's all they do. They don't work in a hospital except for emergency privileges and whatnot. But if you want to do PAD in a private practice setting with a group, you must have at least, in my opinion, one other partner willing to split it with you because otherwise you will be on call 24-7. And if you're not, mm-hmm. you're not going to have a successful PAD practice. It'll dry up. Yeah, no, I agree. We have five IRs now and we all do PAD. Everyone's a little different in their approach. You know, we have some some of my older partners, uh, they do, you know, they're basically fempop disease. Okay right? Or iliac. Right. And then I, I don't, you know, I've tried to get them into going tibial, doing the tibial work and distal work. And they just, they don't usually do it. You know, they'll, they'll do a simple plasty, but they're not, they're not going to do an atherectomy and they're not going to, they're not going to do the pe- the pavement pounding on the case. Right. The, the, the hard work, you know, that, yeah. that, that takes longer. Yeah. I mean, that's the so challenge. For my practice. Absolutely. Like, so again, for me, it's kind of like the Yuffie thing is I'm getting the majority of the PAD cases because I'm the one doing the majority of the work. And my partner, while more than capable, he's just sort of more laid back and doesn't quite care as much as I do about it. Mm-hmm. And so when I was gone for two weeks recently, you know, he's the one doing all these cases. But on a day-to-day basis, it really is me. And he is providing sort of the on-call assistance. And when he's not on call and it's the other two people, then it's sort of me. So I'm willing mm-hmm. to do that. But you really have to have buy-in from your IR partners and you really have to have, I think, also buy-in from your DR partners, which is sort of the bigger obstacle. I have a, a secret. You can see it online anywhere in SIR. <laughs> I don't, I don't love DR. They sure. are a, uh, they are a, put it politely, a lazy, give me my money. <laughs> and I don't care if you want to do good cases and I just want you to help my list get smaller. Let's touch a little bit more on, on uh, the growth, and then we'll talk about your, your group support as well. Well, it's not, yeah, okay, no, no problem. But it's not just mine. It's sort of, right. I think, a, a DR issue. Yeah. But okay, we'll hold off. So you've done, it sounds like for the growth, you've done, you know, a lot of personal phone calls, given your personal contact out. You're, you've done the lunches and the PowerPoints. Have you done like dinners? And are you doing like marketing, like real marketing? We we are doing some marketing. Um, our marketer, hope she never hears this, is uh, leaves a lot to be desired. So we've we've started doing it more so ourselves, frankly. But yeah, mm. you know, we we make order forms so that these doctors can just check a box and then they fax it to us and we go from there. The dinners, I'm willing to do them, but I guess I'm just imposing my own bias. I don't really want to go out to dinner mm-hmm. at night. I want to come home to my family. So I'm just assuming other doctors are the same. So I try to do lunches. Yeah, 
Because I mean, yeah. you're, it's it's double dipping. I don't want to use my free time and I don't think they want to use their free time to meet me. They don't care who I am. They just want me to help their patient. Right. I think I've tried to do that and it's hard because everybody wants to be with their family. I agree. Exactly. But I think you can do that with, you know, people that do have more free time, the non-docs. You can, you know, if there's a wound care, there's nurses, you can get all the NPs and PAs in town. Yeah. It's more accessible, I think. Yeah. And that's the other point I would make to people that are wanting to do this or do this themselves is the ancillary staff is in many ways as important, if not more than the doctor. They just mm-hmm. give something to their nurse, like PAD patient, make it happen. Yeah. So the nurse practitioner, the secretary may be the one that decides where it goes. So these people need to be part of your marketing. And it, yeah. you have to really, I mean, you should be nice to everybody. I'm not saying that, but I mean, go out of your way to be extra nice to these people because they're the ones that are often making that decision of where the patient will end up. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that there's uh, I was, I was in Texas before my current practice in Oregon. And my group sent me to this other hospital to like, just start to build. And they were like, Don, don't worry about the diagnostic. We just want you to go build business. So I walked into this primary care office and I, I went and talked to docs and they're like, what was I asking? How, you know, how do you decide who to refer to? And they said, oh, we have referral specialists. I said, so do you, you know, do you pick like a doctor? And they go, oh, we just, you know, we send it to the referral specialists and they pick. So I went to, I was like, who are these people? So I went to talk to the referral specialist. It's two 18 year old girls sitting there, you know, cards in front of them and they just pick randomly. That's ridiculous. So I brought them coffee and I sat down and chatted with them for like 30 minutes. And then I got all these referrals. That's awesome. But that was Texas. And every group's different. Every group's different. You don't know how they, you know, their EMR might do it. And you might have to get your name inserted into their EMR to to get a referral. It's It's complex stuff. It depends where you go. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I noticed too, a lot of these people that order these studies I read, I don't recognize the name sometimes. And then I call them directly and it's a nurse practitioner or PA. And they're, you know, same thing. Give them your number. There's, it's like, I guess they have a chip on their shoulder perhaps because when you treat them respectfully and you give them your number, they're so grateful. They're like, oh my God, thank you so much for your help. Thank you. We're definitely going to call you. Yeah. I find that's so, real, you know, being mutually respectful to someone who maybe feels stomped on or overworked helps, you know, everybody likes that. Yeah. So compared to when you started that in your group, everything you're doing now, I mean, the OBL is new from when you started. The PAD practice is new from when you started. The UFE, all this stuff is new, really, right? Okay. Yeah. You do actual marketing. You're doing the phone calls. Um, yeah, that's that could be lunches. done better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm using my own time for marketing and, you know, setting this things up and my time could be used a little better, but luckily yeah. I have a... Uh, the energy to make it happen. <laughs> so I kind of well, doing it all. Well, that pot is not, em- uh, not unending. Yeah. It's not endless. There's uh, you know, there's a g- actually a great podcast on the back table. I think her name's Diane Keen. She, t- she's a marketer in for an IR practice and diagnostic practice. And you should listen to that one. Okay. But when you have time, so let's go into the <laughs> support of your group. Tell me more about that. I've been at a few jobs. It's really the same story everywhere, in my opinion. They just want you reading the list and, you know, they don't really care about these advanced therapies or helping the local population. That's just my opinion from what I've seen anecdotally in my own jobs. You know, they just, they don't care. They just want you to read the list to make it shorter for them. And when you try to build practice, they don't, they don't really care. So it's not, I don't think it's necessarily malicious on their part. It's just indifference. They're coming, they're a different breed than we are and their focus is different. And we're clinicians. They absolutely are not. 
And that right there is what it boils down to is we're trying to do what we can to help our local population with the most advanced therapies that we can. They're there just to read their studies and go home. Nothing wrong with that, but, you know, if you're a team, and, and there have been a little clashes, mm-hmm. frankly. I mean, I'll just call it like it is, I suppose. There's been clashes and they, there's just, there isn't a whole tremendous support for this. It's like, there's, there was one recently where one of the guys was saying, well, we don't really care that you're doing these things, just ship them to UVA. And it's like, well, and, and his argument was, I, I hate that. He's like, I hate when people say, well, it saves them a trip. They can just go to UVA. Well, this guy is again in need of a trip to like a third world country to reset his perspective. These are poor people in the Shandell Valley and a two hour trip to UVA is a big deal for them. Yeah. So I could not disagree and have more disdain for this gentleman. It surprises me or what surprises me is that, you know, you have an OBL and your practice, all your your practice are all owners of that, I assume? Yeah, yeah, we're all owners of it. But I, I'm telling you, there's something funny going on because I hear about people with OBLs and they're just like driving nice cars and minting money and this and that. Mm-hmm. Ours apparently isn't like that. And from what I've gathered, we're still doing good level cases. It's not like we're doing ports and paras only. Mm-hmm. We have those too, but we're doing PAD, we're doing UFIs, we're doing KIFOs, but we're not rolling in money either. And sometimes even we're losing money. So I have no idea what the hell's going on with our OBL, frankly. And I've, I've tried to get our managers and, and leaders to talk to people like you. And, and they're just saying, oh, we're, you know, it's a different payer mix. There's nothing gonna, it's not going to change anything. I'm like, well, That's interesting. but this guy's making millions of dollars and we're not. So clearly there's, <laughs> I don't mean you, I hope you, yeah. I don't know. I don't know, but I hope it is you. But in general, you know, you hear this like OBL is like the cash cow, the golden goose. And for us, it's not that case. And in fact, actually, I'm told more recently that some of my more complex PAD cases are going to have to be moved to the hospital. It's just not, it's cost prohibitive to do them in the OBL. Sure. I know there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of detail, the prices of the equipment you pay, the price, you know, the costs of all the staff, the insurance, you know, there's a lot of costs. So there's a lot of, a lot of uh, detailed economic management of all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm no expert at business. I'm quite stupid, frankly, at it. But I do know if we're losing money some months and we're doing good cases that I know other people are doing similar work in their OBL and they're making a lot of money, that something is wrong. It's not as simple as pay or mix. I I don't, I haven't figured it out and I probably never will. (laughs) So that's interesting. Well, I think (laughs) I would want to leverage a business savvy person to, to help work that out. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, the thing is, is the business savvy people in my practice, I've, I've tried them multiple times to, to do this. And I've contacted people such as yourself that I have mm-hmm. successful OBLs. I'm like, I think you guys need to talk. You have to figure this out. And they're just always, they're not taking me up on that offer. They're just well, like, that's ah. tough. So, I guess on the plus side, you're doing what you love. For now, <laughs> for now, until it closes. <laughs> for the moment. So you can book your cases in your OBL or you can book them in the hospital, right? Correct. You have the choice. Correct. And so currently, are you choosing, you know, how do you decide what to do where? I mean, I try to do as much as I can in the OBL because we have more control um, there and the staff are a little bit more on our side. But now I'm being told, again, some of the more complex cases have to go to the hospital. And frankly, if somebody has like no insurance and nothing, mm. there's not really a choice. I mean, it just is yeah. what it is. We have to move them to the hospital. Yeah, of course. They, so that is, uh, 
unfortunate reality that I don't know if I should be saying or not, but it is what it is. If they can't pay, we're not doing what they will be off. Right. Of course. Yeah. That's, I think, I think that's pretty universally accepted. Yeah. I just don't know if it's okay to say it so explicitly, but yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, that's, I'm okay you with know, it. <laughs> hospitals are subsidized to, right. you know, for charity care. And that's a, that's a real thing, unfortunately. Yeah. So I try, I mean, I would like to do everything in the OBL, but I get it. It makes sense. Are you continuing to do marketing beyond, you know, the, the personal exchange of information? Are you doing any, um, what would you say, social media uh, marketing or things like that? We have just done that. We have just mm-hmm. started that. But again, I, if you remember, I said our marketer is not the best. So the, the online presence isn't the best either. So mm-hmm. it is just starting. We definitely need to improve that. I think that would help a lot. But no, I mean, it's really just at the moment, it's, it's just the sweat equity, me beating the mm-hmm. bushes, calling people, reading studies, calling people. For the, the UFI is, I would love to have the PAD where the UFI is. Like there's, again, there's one major guy in here who sees everybody. And she sends me personally all the Eufy. I don't have to do a thing for that anymore. Like I'm the Eufy king of 20,000K Winchester. So that's a huge title and I'm proud of it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the PAD is, it, it can be, it could be done better. Yeah. It would be nicer if that were more automated by this point. Yeah. I think, you know, I think it's a two, it's a two level thing. It's getting the patients to you. But it's also getting just awareness out is, is the other piece, it, it seems like. There's so many people just with PAD, you know, getting amputations. And you started talking about it. You, you brought it up earlier, you know, right. just the amputation rates are high. And it, I think there's just a knowledge gap in yeah. the medical community, not just the community, but everywhere. Right. And I was, I really wanted for a dual purpose. And I'll be honest about it. I really wanted a billboard up on I-81 here. Because one, it would improve business unquestionably. It's been proven mm-hmm. to work. But two, just to see my ass on a billboard would be hilarious. <laughs> and so I, I got a, I got a photographer and the, my four, my three partners and I, we had it done. It looks awesome. And then we were ready to do it. And then the president of the group at the time, once again, the guy who balked at the OBL was mm-hmm. like, no, you can't do this. It's going to piss off the hospital. And it's like, who cares? Like, what are they going to do? Fire us? Like, we are literally the only, unless you're going to somehow find four IRs to come independently live in Winchester, Virginia, which right. you're not, and, and sell the whole group to teleradiology for the DR part, they can't do anything about it. And it would have been very successful because we're very close to West Virginia is like less than five miles away. And there's a whole chain up there by Martinsburg that would have a huge stream of PAD patients. And so it was a very strategic billboard placement and it never came to be, which was upsetting because I just wanted that billboard to see myself up there so bad. <laughs> just well, hilarious. You know, it's, it's, it really is a failure. No, I love the idea. I love the idea of the billboard. That would be great. The, uh, I think there's a failure of, of a lot of folks to understand. You know, you put that billboard up and it's driving patients to you. And if, if a lot of patients start coming to you, you still have the choice of where you're going to do the case. Right. No, that's Overall, the, exactly it's right. It's the rising tide. It's the rising tide. You they know, don't get it. all ships. We discussed that earlier. Exactly right. Stated more eloquently than I did. It's exactly right. I mean, there's so many patients that would be coming. Yeah. It just, it, just it would be more patients altogether yeah. for everybody. And, and that's the other thing for PAD too. I mean, just look at all the companies that succeed with that. Most especially big pharma, like direct to consumer marketing works. Yeah. And, and if that, that one single billboard, it was like $25,000 for the whole year. It's like nothing. Oh, wow. Um, totally worth it. Totally worth it. <laughs> I would buy it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I would have bought it myself too. I would have totally been worth I would have bought it myself just to see myself up there for a day. Yeah. 
you'd have it for a whole year. I can't think of anything <laughs> more ridiculous than that, but it would work. Just to drive your family by it every day. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's cool. Uh, I hope you continue to grow it and I want to hear more about that. I've seen, yeah. you know, you do complex stuff and you're doing great work. It looks like, you know, a lot of people stop at some point and, or, or give up early, you know, they, they stent the SFA and it goes down and they're, and they're done. Now it's amputation time. We see that all the time. Yeah. That, it's awful. I mean, that's the other thing too. I mean, it shouldn't just be love. It should be your duty. I mean, if you're going to do PAD, you got to see it the whole way through. And I forget, I forget the exact numbers, but I just saw a thing about amputations recently, some talk or whatever. And, you know, after you get a BKA, it's like 40% die yeah. in a year. And after an AKA, it's like 60 or 70. I, I don't, those numbers are wrong, but you get the point. Yeah. It's no, like, it's huge. Saving a leg is saving someone's quality of life tremendously. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, the papers about pedal revascularization, you know, uh, out of Italy that came out like in 2011, it's been 10 years since all that stuff came out and they were doing it years before they published that. Right. You know, and it, it just seems like everybody's behind on the curve Absolutely. here. By the way, have you heard about this pedal acceleration time thing? I have heard of it. I've heard of it, but I don't, I see Mary Constantino talk about it all the time on Twitter. Yeah. I, I, I don't know much about it other than it, it's very important for CLI. Right, right. No, I didn't really get it. And I went to their, they had a small course here in uh, Washington nearby, but totally get it now, you know, end organ perfusion and you can just check very quick. You should look into it. It's really great. No, I definitely I want to. They did a, they did a talk on it too, on, on back table. Check it out. Okay. I have a lot of back table. To I know <laughs> a lot of back table. A lot. But I, I think that's going to help us a lot with, with, uh, how we do penal work and everything. You know, all we have is TBIs, right? Right. SPO2s and that stuff's, you know, together. It's just hard. You just, you know, three weeks go by. Is it healing? Do you think it's healing? Does wound care, wound care center think it's healing? And, and do we need to re-intervention? Uh, you know, it, I think what PAT provides and we'll see as more data comes, but I think it provides you a better way to measure. Are you good? Is it going to heal or do you need to do something more? I think it's coming. That's very exciting. Yeah. It's not, we don't get huge uh, changes often, you know? No. Again, if you're in private practice, you have to have support of your colleagues, particularly your IR, and you have to have at least one other person so you can be Q2 with these issues. If you don't handle the complications in the middle of the night, don't even try starting. You're wasting your time. Yeah, totally agree. Okay. So you just got back from your, your vacation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went to, uh, I was in Tanzania for two weeks with Road to IR, which uh, provides IR mentoring and teaching at Mahumbili Hospital in Tanzania there. And it was, you know, the first fellowship started there just a few years ago. And this guy Fabian from uh, Yale, well, I think he was a second year resident when he started this program, which is just tremendous. I've never met him, but I mean, I have ultimate respect for the guy. We were doing nothing in residency. <laughs> And this guy started this thing up, <laughs> which is changing an entire country and ultimately a continent. And so, yeah, one of my buddies, I've never met this guy either. This guy, Bo Lu, he was a Miami oh, grad. Like, Yeah, I know Bo. Yeah. So <laughs> I went to Miami and finished in 2011 and he just graduated. And I guess he liked my uh, unique style of posting on SAR Connect. And he reached out to me and he's like, oh, we're both grads from Miami. How are you doing? So we've been quite... Um, correspondence back to each other back and forth. I've never met him. And he just went maybe a month ago and I heard about it and I had a week off. I was like, oh my God, I got to go. And so 
I was able to get another week off back to back and there was, we just made it happen real quick. And I went down there. It's a wonderful experience. I, I would highly recommend anybody and everybody that does IR to do this. I know Rad8 has a program similar. They used to be mainly DR, but they do now have IR. I guess, again, the guy from Rad8, I forget his name, Andrew, I think, reached out to me. I forget his last name. He reached out to me. He's like, hey, I see you're going to, with Road to IR. We do stuff too. Let me know if you're ever interested. So, you know, there's more than one way to do it. I, I can say unequivocally, it was definitely a highlight of my career. You know, I've been out 10 years. It was a highlight. Getting to be able to teach, you get to go see people. It's, again, it's a very big lesson in perspective for anybody complaining about anything at all about your life in America. Go down there for two weeks and come back and then let's talk to see if you really have anything to complain about. <laughs> and while I was there, you know, you, two weeks teaching these fellows, it's not in, insanely busy yet because it's just starting. And even the own, the, the local infrastructure is unaware that a lot of people are unaware that they're there and what they can offer. Most days are like maybe four to six cases. And, you know, the big cases, it's mid-level stuff. It's like an nephrostomy or, or biliary drain or the big ones. And, but otherwise it's just, you know, a biopsy, catheter exchange, a drainage, and it's teaching these guys how to do it. They're very smart, book smart, but they just don't have the experience yet to be um, very confident. So I noticed that was my big observation there is it's sort of like deer in headlights. They know all this, the medicine and what to do, but when they're in the moment of the procedure, they're very unsure of themselves. And that, I think that's simply a numbers game. You know, once once the cases become more numerous and they get their experience level up, they'll be much more uh, confident in their skills. But it was awesome. I mean, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I thought I was going to go down there and help their local IR attendings train them. And when I get there, it turns out there are none. And I am the attending for the two weeks there. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So it, I didn't I mean, know the real role. So... Yeah, I, well, you know, I they, they just graduated. Like, I think it's technically November their first year class. So they're graduating three people and one of them was from Rwanda, Ivan, and he went back. So now they have two left there that are technically attendings. So I think they're kind of in a limbo. They are attendings when no one else is there, but when someone mm -hmm. like myself or Bo goes uh, down there, then we're the attending. Someone with more experience, yeah. basically. So it's a two-week trip, right? Is that it can be? Deal? It can be more. I mean, you have to sign a book at the end and I saw people's dates. Some people were longer, they're longer. Someone was there a month. Oh, wow. But I think, again, I'm just making a bl totally blind assumption, but I think it's on average two weeks of the trips. And some trips are whole teams. Like, I think Bo went with like a nurse and a tech too, because they use them as well for training. Hmm. But for me, it was just me. And then I know another guy was arriving the day I left. So, you know, every two weeks, they try to cycle new people in there. And so your role there, like you 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 become the attending, essentially, you're the most experienced uh, operator. Right? Yeah. Is that the deal? Yeah. And so cases and consults come in and they run them by you and they take care of everything, you know, and it's, it's a, again, it's a very great, profound lesson in perspective because for them to get through five cases in a day, it's like a nine hour ordeal. Everything moves slow there. Uh, so if you think things are slow in America, just go down there. I was going to say, I can't imagine slower than the U.S., yeah. Um, the U.S. is at light speed compared to, to this. But a lot of it, again, it's, it's, it's a brand new system and program for them. Mm -hmm. but, but it is also a cultural thing. I mean, everything moves slower down there. Everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're waiting for like a check at a restaurant, I mean, 
be prepared to wait for 20 minutes. The waitress will look right at you dead in the eye and not move. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can like signal check and see that just like, okay, when I feel like it. We'll get to it. Yeah. That's so funny. But yeah, it was very rewarding. I mean, we were talking before the episode, so this is kind of coming out of left field. But oh, yeah. I mean, when, when you go to a trip like this, it, it shows you how America is the best country. And personally, I think a lot of Americans don't deserve it. They're just too entitled and they don't realize how good they have it. And you go down there and those fellows, it's like the opposite. They, their attitudes are perfect. They have such great enthusiasm. They're energetic. They're willing to work. The only thing they're actually lacking is the, the case volume to really cement their skills. It's a huge facility, right? Yeah. I, I forgot. It's like 1,400 beds or something. It's huge. I mean, it's a lot of, none of it's connected. They're all like individual buildings. Oh. And. Oh, it's like a VA, up. like VA style, all these buildings. It's just a ton. <laughs> and again, another eye opener, you go to the wards, which I went to a couple of times. It's like eight to 10 patients in something the size of a single patient room here. They're just piled on top of each other. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is old. That's it's, the old style, how it used to be yeah, here. It's crazy. Wow. So, I, I mean, I would highly recommend, I mean. I joke about it the way I talk about it. I think I posted in SIR, like, you'd be, yeah. you're, you're stupid if you don't go. Like, but I, I believe that. <laughs> like, it's a free trip. They put you up. You get to go do some good in another country. Mm -hmm. You can literally, like, I was the, I mean, it's a stupid little nothing, but like, I was the first person to do a balloon assisted gastrostomy in the country. Like, yeah. that's cool. That is cool. You know? <laughs> and I was the first person to declot a fistula with, with no equipment, just a, a sheath. They, they get it fair number of fistula work, but mm -hmm. they turn, they turn away almost everything because they just don't have the tools. They don't even have a Fogarty balloon. So it's like, they oh, wow. can't fix them. So I don't want to say I'm the only one that successfully opened the fistula. Cause I'm not sure of that, but, but I'm one of the few that opened one up and I did it with like, you know, it's what we do. Yeah. Minimum tools. And that's, that's the thing too, is that's something that I strive to all trainees is like, you just make it happen with what you have. Yeah. It, it, it definitely, uh, opens the door for creativity. Yes. It's a great experience. I cannot recommend it enough. I'm probably going to do it annually. Yeah. I don't see a reason why I wouldn't do it. To me, it's just a wonderful opportunity. And I think there are, they're, they're now moving to Rwanda as well. So this one will continue and they're going to do the same thing in Rwanda starting in a few months. So I think the opportunities are going to become more and more and more. They're going to have more facilities where they're doing this. Well, that's awesome. And again, I can't congratulate Fabian enough. I mean, it's just the tremendous good that he's done for the world. I mean, not many people can say that. Yeah, I know. He did an episode as well and I listened to it and, you know, he was talking a lot about building it and creating the program and, uh, you know, getting a, a first person perspective of someone being there is, I think, different. Hearing how you're actually operating when you go. He, he was talking more in general about the whole program. This is, it's pretty cool to hear how, how you operate there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. And, and I'll say it again here, just to encourage people, you can bookend it with an extra week or two. Mm. I mean, I went in 2013 with Rad Aid, but back then there was, I went unofficially and there was literally no infrastructure. So I sat around for one week in the other hospital, Aga Khan, and I did nothing, but I was there for three <laughs> weeks. So then after that, I got to go on safari, Kilimanjaro. I mean, you can do that. Oh, you yeah. Take your family there, have a wonderful vacation. You know, if you have a very complaining wife or kids, it'll really shock the shit out of them and make them appreciate what they have. Yeah. I think we were chatting before the episode about, or well, I brought up how you go into a bathroom and I saw some of your pictures posted that there's no toilet. It's just a hole pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's normal there, but 
here, everyone just takes that for granted that you have a, a seat. <laughs> yeah, everything. Every, I mean, from top to bottom, every single aspect of life we take for granted is not there. They have running water, but it's often not potable, even to locals. Yeah. You know, paved roads, dentists. Like, meanwhile, <laughs> here, you know, someone's remodeling their house and they're arguing with their spouse, should we get heated floor tiles or not for the winter? Yeah. And it's just like, it, you could not have a greater disparity <laughs> in, in life than- Very much it, first world. Yeah, absolutely first world. So for like, honestly, like, I couldn't be more enthusiastic about encouraging every single person that does IR to go on a trip like this. I mean, even if it's just, even if you're totally selfish, just for yourself, it's a wonderful experience, mm -hmm. but you're, it's such a benefit to, to this place. I mean, you're literally helping an entire country's healthcare system change. I mean, why wouldn't you do this? It's just a fantastic experience. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm excited to do it myself at this point. That's great. And Bo got you into it. That's great. Yeah, just randomly. I mean, I heard he was doing this and I was like, oh my God, I got to do this. <laughs> and I think he's going to Rwanda next year. So I, I oh, think wow. he's probably another annual volunteer. Very cool. Um, anything else you want to tell us about the trip? Anyone's always welcome to contact me. My contacts on SIR, email me, call me. But I, I again, I, I just want to shout out to Fabian because what he did is amazing. And I think everybody should do this, seriously. Well, cool. I guess the last little bit, I wanted to chat about the SIR uh, open forum, which I think has been a great resource for a lot of IRs, especially new IRs, uh, trying to figure out what to do with different clinical scenarios. Um, and, and all kinds of things, you know, it's all comers, people post and just come up with questions and everybody responds. So I, I did a search on SIR to see how many posts you had on there okay. and it's 50, it's over 50. SIR won't tell me how many beyond that. Oh, wow. But <laughs> the SIR can do a search of more. But, uh, I think, you know, when I started seeing your posts on there, you're very passionate about what you do and you were, you know, telling us creative ways to do things. And I think, uh. I think that resonated with a lot of folks, at least me. So, you know, prior to me seeing you post on there, I hadn't seen any posts. You know, it was like a firm, like, oh, this guy Joe is posting and he's really, uh, he's really throwing a lot out there. Can you just tell me about, you know, your experience on the, the, on the open forum on SIR? I guess I have a lot of thoughts and opinions. And when I think I can educate someone on the technical aspect of something in medicine for what we do IR, I like to throw my ring in the hat, I'm sorry, my hat in the ring. One of the things I told these guys down in Tanzania is every attending you work under is gonna bring a different dish to the table. And your job throughout your training is to like a buffet style, make the perfect dish. Take what you like from this person, don't take what you like from that person. So I would like, to, I'm sure we all feel similarly that what we do is the right way to do things and the best way to do things. And when I read something, and, and uh, I think I can offer some technical advice. I like to do that. That being said, I also love to call out bullshit when I see it. And I read a lot of bullshit on there politically, not just, you know, the, the political side of what we do. And I just can't abide that. And, you know, the hottest topic I can think of, and I'm still fired up about it, even though it's never going to change anything, is bestowing the title of fellow onto non-MDs. <laughs> and basically the response from SIR was, well, deal with it. I think that's, you know, heinous. You're shooting your own people in the foot. And I'll just say it here yet again. I'm sorry. No nurse practitioner has ever advanced the field of IR. 
the, the reasoning that we were given is, oh, they come in early, they stay late, patients love them, they work hard. Okay, congratulations. Let's give that to every freaking IR doctor on the planet. That, that's not a, a category, you know, and you have doctor, and there's one guy I know who has a hundred publications. The SIR gave him an award for the amount of work that he's done. He was denied fellowship. So you're telling me that guy can't get a fellow, but a nurse practitioner can? No. And I'll say it. And I can't tell you how many private messages I got. Thank God we have someone like you speaking the truth because no one else is. And people are afraid to say it. Well, I forget which Greek it was. Like, I think it was Plato. No one is more hated than he who speaks the truth. And, <laughs> and you know, it's just my persona. I happen to think I speak a lot of truth. So a lot of people hate me. And I'm fine with that, actually. I, I actually kind of like that because... The people that hate me are the people that I want to hate me. And, <laughs> you know, I just don't agree with them philosophically. And this spills into the wider societal, for lack of a better way to say it, ultra wokeness. It's like, oh, we have to honor nurse practitioners. No, you don't. You, you have to respect them. You don't have to give them our titles. They're not MDs. That used to mean something. And again, I'll just take a second to say on the side, this is where America is like Mickey Mouse, black and white, zero nuance. Just because I say a nurse practitioner doesn't deserve the title of fellow doesn't mean I disrespect a nurse practitioner. They're not the same thing. But these are the people that hate what I say. That's what they hear. Oh, the nurse practitioner doesn't deserve the title. He, oh, This is horrible. It, it's just, I, I just can't let all these people get away with the bullshit that they say on there without at least challenging it. And what I find really heinous is the fact that they even went to like 1984 George Orwell. They actually deleted some of my posts. When I said, nope, just because they didn't like the contents, the, the, the opinions I was stating, which is just, I just could not believe this. My, my jaw dropped. And per usual, I'll make an assumption, but it'll be right. It was a white male boomer that took offense to those things. It's never the person that theoretically could be offended that makes the issue. I have a lot to say. And when I see the chance to say it, it also doesn't help that I, uh, I have like a sleeping disorder. So <laughs> I have a little bit more time than the average person does. And, you know, I'm in a private practice setting, so I don't get to teach, but I love to teach. You know, I will be moving. They don't know it yet, but I'll be a Georgetown attending one day. They don't know it yet. I mean, that's the bookend plan. The bookend. That's the bookend plan. I'll be, I'll be even attending there, whether they know or like it or not. I was born there, by the way, too. So it would definitely bookend then. So, yeah, I just, I can't keep quiet on something that I don't think is right. And that has gotten me into trouble way too many times. I don't doubt that. <laughs> but, so, but so be it. I mean, I, I always joke around all the time. Like, I'm just so full of shit sometimes, but I just can't take things seriously. But it's like, it's like the Batman quote. He's not the hero Gotham needs, but the hero they deserve. Like somebody actually <laughs> sent me that quote about me talking about this nurse practitioner stuff. Like, That's funny. like, apparently I resonate with quite a few people just because I'm willing to say things that are politically unwise to say. I mean, what are they going to do? Not give me SIR fellow status? They weren't going to give it to me anyways. I think, well, that, that lit it up on, on the, on the, on the open forum, because I think even before, uh, the nurse practitioner got it, that a lot of people, you know, in the surgical societies, you finish, you get board certified and you get your fellowship status, right? right. You get your, your surgery fellowship. And then, and then they throw that on the back of their name, you know, and then in SIR, we, we've used it. SIR has used it differently. You don't get it when you get board certified, you get it with, there's, there's some sort of system. There's like a point system. Yeah. But it's just nonsense. I mean, if you want to look at it, 
being a member for like eight years consecutively or whatever it is, that's $1,000 a year. You're donating $8,000 a year is a significant contribution to the society. I mean, you should be a fellow just for that, frankly. And you definitely make the argument. Yeah, it's just, it's just nuts. It's, it's, it's scope creep. And, you know, the leaders of our own society are propagating that creep and hurting us in the process. And I just, I cannot disrespect their response to our, my comments on that more than, than I do. Oh, well, this is how it is. You have no say in it. You're, what is this? Communist China? Like you have a large number of your members disagreeing with your policy. Are you at least not going to consider the possibility that you're wrong or you should reconsider? You know, besides, besides the fellowship topic, I think you're, you're on SIR a lot. And it seems like you've, I feel like you add, you know, you jump in anytime uh, there's something interesting and we see you on there adding your two cents. And I, there's not a thousand people on there chiming in. And I think it's valuable. Just the whole resource, the open forum is a great resource. I agree completely. It's, I, th I think it's one of the most valuable things on the planet for an IR. You can get instant feedback from world experts on your clinical dilemma. And like I said, I just on there a lot because I have more time than other people, I guess. And if I think I can help somebody or teach somebody a different technique, then I'm, then I want to do that. Well, I think that's huge. I think, you know, more people need to do it, but it's good to have people like you on there. Well, it's good to hear that somebody likes me on there. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got different opinions. Yeah. All right, Joe, there's a lot. We covered a lot. Yeah. So I thank you for your time, Don. This was a, a great experience for me. Awesome. Anything else you want to uh, touch on that we might've missed? No, not that I can think of. Cool. So Joe, thank you so much. It was great having you on here. Thank you to the Backtable podcast listeners. Enjoyed uh, making another podcast for you guys. Don Garbett signing out. Thank you, Don, for hosting and Backtable. Thank you so much. It was an honor to uh, partake in this. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, Brian Hartley. Our audio team lead is Karen Gannon, with support from Caleb Hodson and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz, with support from Zubi Syed, Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson and Vivek Prasad. Social media and PR by Ann Dang. And newsletter by Lauren Fang. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.